So uh, I have a friend named Dan. And Dan actually played guitar here from like 2005 to 2008, something like that. Uh, while, while he was playing guitar here, he was unemployed. He, after college, he went and he started working. And uh, he decided he didn't like working, and so he quit. And uh, his parents lived in Huntington Harbor, <laughs> so he just boomeranged right back into his old, his old, uh, his old room. And, and he spent the next three years playing World of Warcraft, which is uh, a video game. He played for six to eight hours a day. Um, and, and he did that because Dan will tell you, he himself will let you know, he's an obsessive person. When he goes into something, he goes in hard. Now, I'm glad to inform you that he, he uh, eventually broke out of the, the chains of, of World of Warcraft. He, uh, he's, he's an executive now, um, and, and, but, but he's still an obsessive guy. And so most recently, what he's gotten into is he purchases uh, little like miniature uh, World War II soldiers and tanks. And he recreates moments from uh, battles in World War II. He paints these little things. It takes him, uh, you know, 40 to 60 hours to get, um, to, he's a real, real big dork. I mean, I love him. He's an awesome dude, but he's a real big nerd. And, and, and obsession, passionate pursuit of something, that's something that all human beings do. We tend to, to focus on stuff that's not like little miniature soldiers. Uh, we, we do other things. He says it relaxes him. I, I mean, I guess, okay, I would just go nuts. Um, but we all obsess about different things. It's just, it tends that nerds really show us how crazy we can go, how off the deep end we can go with obsession. Uh, Jesus is going to uh, address the, the actual, the obsessions that most of us deal with today. You'll remember last week, um, we started, we started by this series, God's Generosity, by talking about how, um, how God has created the world to have just an abundance. So that even when we're, you know, even when Adam and Eve are rejected from the, the garden, even when they're being punished, they're still, God lavishes gifts on them such that they are able to go and, and, and flourish in the world even after they've been ejected from paradise. Well, today Jesus is going to, uh, he's going to deal with um, the things that we that we obsess over, they're, they're kind of unhealthy. And so this is a pretty famous piece of scripture. This is mostly the New King James. Uh, so if you follow in your pew Bibles, you'll see that it's mostly King James. I've, I've uh, made some edits for clarity. But this is Jesus saying, it is Luke 12. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, nor about the body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Can, can you make yourself taller, live longer? If you can't even do such a small thing, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. Stop worrying. For all these things that the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. This is Jesus at his most hippie. 
If you were imagining uh, the, what was that, God's spell? No, is that right? There was, a, there was a play that they did in the 70s, and it was like, basically, they pr- portrayed Jesus as this kind of hippie dude who goes around, he's like, hey, everything's cool. Jesus Christ Superstar, that's what it is. Okay, yes, thank you, yes. Uh, and and, and you, you, you can see how that might come across in this text, right? Because this text is nuts. Jesus is saying something that's crazy. Jesus is, well, he's bonkers here. Like, oh, stop worrying, you know, the food and the drink is just going to show up. Really? I invite you to just kind of get a little closer in this text and, and, and see exactly sort of the mindset that Jesus is operating from and how it makes some of this, which is nuts, possible. He says, don't worry about your life. Survival, the basics, don't worry about it. Well, okay, here in Orange County, that's not that hard because uh, there's nobody here who's actually in danger of, you know, starving. Okay, but we just saw a video about kids who are. Right? They actually live in a world of scarcity, of true scarcity, where, you know, if they, if, 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 honestly, if, if, if we don't, and, and, and we don't support Grongu, and we don't help them out, like, these kids won't eat. And yet Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Consider the ravens. And God feeds them. Why does Jesus mention ravens? Ravens are a horrible animal. I have a picture of them. You can see what a raven's doing here. It's eating another bird. Cool. This is, I like to watch those, uh, those uh, 4K videos on YouTube of, of nature, like National Geographic. It's awesome. There's always like this beautiful Arctic fox trotting through the snow. They don't show you the part where the, uh, the, the fox is like murdering a penguin and like tearing its entrails out. Well, that's what ravens do. And ravens are, not only do they, they attack other species, they're carrion eaters, they also murder their own kind. Like, they will eat uh, their own, animal, own species. They're a very disgusting animal. In fact, they were one of the most hated and reviled animals in the, uh, in the ancient Near East, especially amongst the Jewish people. Jewish people had a very, they were very uh, uptight about death in general. Um, and, and the idea of corpses and the idea of cannibalism was very, it was like really super off-putting to them. And so when, G- when Jesus brings up the ravens, what he's talking about, he's like, look, these are the worst of the worst. If there was one animal God would want to erase, it would be these guys. They eat their own dead. And yet, God feeds them. And he does that by letting other animals die. Even this vicious, ugly, brutal, nasty animal is taken care of, and God allows the world to work in such a way that even these can eat. 1968, Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb. You got the, on the left there, that's a photo from like the late 60s, early 70s. On the right there was this year, Paul Ehrlich, he's still at it. If you don't know who Paul Ehrlich is, he was a... Um, he was a, a professor at some university, and in 1968, he released a book, The Population Bomb. And if you can't read the subtitle there, it says, While you are reading these words, five people, mostly children, have died of starvation, and 40 more babies have been born. This is 1968. Paul Ehrlich predicts that by the 1990s, all of the world is going to be embroiled in civil and, and war because there's not enough resources for everyone. He looked at how much food there was in the world, how many babies are being born, and he did the math, and he was Malthusian about it. He recognized that in about 30 years after he was writing, the whole world would be embroiled because no one would be able to eat. There wasn't enough food for everybody that was being born. 
Paul Ehrlich comes from a, a, an idea, an understanding of the universe uh, where, like, there is no God. It just all sort of happened. And what sort of the, the, the world, uh, Earth kind of, like, came together, a bunch of, I don't know, fire and star stuff, like, just compacted. And suddenly over time, the Earth happened and then we happened. And, and it's been built in such a way that there's not enough. Human beings are going to destroy it and we're going to starve. I have him up there, uh, that was, uh, he was on CNN this year. And CNN was doing a, 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 a story on how uh, human beings have altered three quarters of the landmass of the planet Earth due to industry and, you know, farming and all these things. And as a result, people like Paul, Paul Ehrlich, he's still going, he says, we're all gonna die. There's not enough here. We've been, we've been destroying the earth. We've been annihilating it and changing it. And as a result, we're all going to starve. He's not been right so far. But I mean, it's a living, right? You gotta sell books. You can't, you gotta say something. I mean, hey, he got on CNN. So I mean, you know, good for him, right? They probably paid him to do that. The, the, the interesting thing, though, is Paul Ehrlich represents a mentality that all of us, to some extent, probably um, operate out of. And that is a belief that it's a zero-sum game. We've got to claw our way up. If we don't do it, we, then we're, gonna, we're, gonna get, we're not going to get ours. There's not enough for all of us. And so we, we, we scratch and we fight and we push and we hold down to make sure that we, that, that me and mine are taken care of and, and you worry about yours because the world just doesn't have what we need. Jesus believes differently. He believes that when God created, God created with such a surplus, such an abundance, that there is enough no matter what. Doesn't mean we don't have to be wise, doesn't mean we don't have to be judicious, but he's operating out of a belief that God made the world in such a way that, that there really is enough. And so he says, don't obsess over security. There is enough. It's the first thing in your note sheets. Don't obsess over security. There is enough. You'll notice that what Jesus is going to do, he's going to ramp up. He starts with the basics, survival, eating, okay? Then he's going to move up to something a little less important, and then he's going to move up to something that's really unimportant. And he's going to say every, at every point, there, there's enough. God's got you. Let's go back to the text. Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The reason Jesus brings up Solomon is Solomon was, uh, for the Jewish people, he was like the apex. He was the height of Jewish glory and wonder. If you read 1 Kings 10, if you open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 10, you would see a description of his palace, right? And it's, it's, he's just, gold is everywhere. I have a 16th century uh, Renaissance Italian art, uh, Veronese. This is his version. It's a little dark. I apologize for that. If you could get closer to it, you would see that what Veronese tries to do is he tries to paint the absolute most opulent example of excess that, that, he, that he can come up with. And, and so there's gold. There's literally like treasure boxes like opening up and spilling. The Queen of Sheba is, is visiting Solomon. She brings like 120 you know, boxes of gold or something. There's these col marble columns. There's beautiful artwork. Everyone's like, everyone's just gorgeously arrayed, right? Everyone's got the best and the coolest uh, different clothes on. 
Jesus is addressing something that, uh, you know, that, well, okay, for the people in Haiti, for the people in Haiti, sometimes having clothes is the difference between life and death, okay? Right? Because, uh, but, but for the most of us, and, and, and for most people in the world, clothing's not that important. In fact, what clothing is, is it's a way for us to feel good about ourselves. It's a way for us to feel um, beautiful. It's a way for us to reckon, like, to, to have some kind of self-love. It's not super important, but it is important to, like, kind of our psychological well-being. It's not like a life or death thing for most of us, but it is something that's, that's really, like, you know, gorgeous. And, and, and there's, there's value in that. And God recognizes that. And Solomon was the one who had that to the, the, and Jesus says, but even, even that. Compare that to the lilies. I have uh, some lilies from uh, Palestine, from Israel. This is, uh, this is actually a little bit southeast of where Jesus grew up. Uh, it's a small village. It's still there. These are wildflowers. And Jesus is saying, I, <laughs> look, I know that there's value. I know that there's, it's important to you to be able to feel like, you know, you're not just gross ugly stuff. I, I know that beauty matters. But you will never be so beautiful as these. So why are you spending all of your time thinking about that next pair of shoes? Why are you spending all of your time trying to think about the next way to make, make yourself up and, and, and to, to, to front like you're so glorious? Even Solomon with gold as far as the eye can see, he's nothing compared to this. And the lilies, they didn't do a thing. God has created the world in such a way that, that there will be beauty. You're, it's gonna come. It's there. There's enough beauty. There's enough gorgeousness. There's enough, uh, Wonder that, that if you just, if you, it's coming to you. It's superfluous. I get that. But even the superfluous, there's enough. God has created a world that's abundant. And so don't obsess over the superfluous. There is enough. I think it's it's important here to stop for just a second and to recognize that, you know, it's hard because we're here in Orange County, right? We're like we're like in the most superfluous, like surfacey place in the universe. So I, I think in a way this kind of might hit us as a little bit like it hits us much differently than it would hit our friends in Haiti, right? Our friends in Haiti, uh, they they don't they get new clothes like whenever it gets donated to them by us, right? That's it. Okay? For them, the idea that they can be pretty, that they can be made up, that's like, that's, that's like a once a year kind of deal. That is not something that's real for them in a regular way like it is for us. We're like, oh, um, you know, the, I'm getting a little bit big, so I gotta roll down to Target and get some new, shir- new shirts. Nobody cares. Don't worry about the fact they were all made by slaves in China. Like, that's cool. Way to go, us. Uh, but it's easy for us to, to get this in a way that's not for the radically poor. And yet, God's saying, even to our friends in Haiti, hey, there is going to be a place for you to be beautiful. The world is big enough. The abundance is there. There's enough for you, too. So I started with uh, security, the basics for life. Now you've gone to, like, you know, dressing well and kind of looking nice. Now, now Jesus is going to go to the next level. Let's go back to the text. He says, do not seek what you should eat or drink. Stop worrying. All these things the nations of the world seek after. I've been using this word obsessed or obsession. 
And the reason for that is in these three verses, 29 to 31, Jesus uses the, the, the Greek word zeteo, and then it's cognate epizeteo, three times. It gets translated here in the New King James as seek, uh, and it can mean that. It can mean uh, look for, finds, right? But it can also mean, it can also mean passionately pursue. It can mean like put your mind on this thing and go after it to the exclusion of everything else. And I think that that's a better way to translate it. If I were going to translate this, my own translation would be like, don't obsess about what you should eat or drink. Stop worrying. All these are the things that the nations of the world obsess over. Instead, obsess over the kingdom of God. That, that word nations, again, if I were translating it, I would translate it as pagans. It's ethnos. It's, if you're Jewish people and you hear about the ethnos, the others, the Gentiles, what you think of is pagans. And pagans for Jews were people who, uh, like, just all they did was satisfy their desires. They just went after feeling good and having fun constantly. That's it. That's all they were. They, they, would, be, they would fit right in here with us in Orange County. That's what the Jews thought of. And if you, if you imagine that, then you can see when they're hearing what Jesus is saying, they're not hearing, oh, um, you know, go after or, or desire or seek. No, they're hearing, they're hearing obsess over, passionately pursue, jump after. And when you see uh, what you should eat or drink, well, they know what the pagans go after, right? Pagans don't go after just like, you know, a nice steak. Pagans go after the biggest, best party that they can find. Pagans are the ones who, when he says eating and drinking, he's talking about partying, having fun, being, you know, the stuff that makes life, you know, satisfying and happy. You started out here, you know, don't worry about your security, your basic survival. Don't worry about the, the stuff that makes uh, for beauty and for, for the stuff that you put on. Now he's going to the next level, the stuff that everyone thinks is going to make you happy. And what does that look like for us? Well, it's been, I would say, probably 12 years since I was in a movie theater and I looked anything like this. Next slide. 2007. That was when Casino Royale came out. I saw James Bond and I was like, this is unbelievable. My jaw was on the floor. I could not believe they were making this movie. I was seeing things I'd never seen before. The parkour scene at the beginning, unbelievable. And so I was like, oh. Now, movie time looks more like this. And I'd like to think that part of that is because they just make crappy movies now. Uh, <laughs> there's only so many times I can see, like, you know, a magical, like, computer graphics robot, like, flying through the sky, like, with dinosaurs and lasers coming out of their eyes, where I'm just like, just stop. Like, I can't. This is just too much. I've seen it all. It's an interesting thing. I notice my kids, like, when they, when they watch a movie or when they see cool stuff, they, they brighten up. They're like, wow. And me, I'm sitting there being like, is this over yet? Seen this? Done that? Apparently, uh, it's true. Um, as you get older, you don't form as many long-term memories. Right? This is why a lot of people, when they reach middle age, uh, they look back and they say, wow, man, I used to have so much fun. I did all these things. I remember all this stuff. And the last decade's been like a blur. What happened? 
the, uh, the, the neuroscientists, they did a little research on this. Uh, the, the hippocampus, that's the part of your brain. Hippocampus means seahorse in Greek. And if you look there, it's kind of hard to see, but there's this little part of your brain that looks like a seahorse. And uh, so the ancients, when they cut open brains, they're like, oh, a seahorse, hippocampus. Well, we found out the hippocampus is actually responsible for memory formation. Okay, So uh, the, the hippocampus has like a primary job of taking a short-term memory and then turning it into a long-term memory. Okay, so like that's that's the job, one of the job, main jobs of the hippocampus. And so the neuroscientists did this great study where they uh, they, they took a bunch of young kids and college students, right? And uh, and then they took a bunch of like late middle age. Um, what is late middle age nowadays? Like eighty. Like we're living longer. Scott's, Scott, Scott's not here. Apparently, he's in Vegas doing whatever he's doing. But he's always like, "Oh, we're all going to live to 100." I'm like, "Dude, I'm checking out at 63." Well, that's cool. You do it. You go to 100, bud. See how that works for you. For those of you who are pushing for 100, congratulations. I'm not knocking it. Like, do it. Um, so people probably in their late 40s, 50s. And they sat down the kids and they showed them pictures of like normal stuff like cups and houses and horses. And then they, they paused and they, they, they gave them a break. And then while they were on break, they had the older folks uh, look at these pictures of cups and houses and horses, whatever. And then they, they gave them a break. They put the youngsters back in and they showed a, a, another set of pictures with cups and houses and horses. And they asked them to flag if, if the picture they were looking at was new, like they hadn't seen this before in the last one, or if it was similar, like it was a cup that looked a little bit like the other one but wasn't exactly the same, or if it was something old. I've already seen this picture. Turns out uh, college age and below flagged with almost 100% accuracy uh, the, what was new, what was similar, and what was old. And they were watching the hippocampus the whole time. And sure enough, the hippocampus was firing like crazy on the youngsters. And it was sorting new, similar, old Helping to remember. Then they showed the, uh, the older people, and they basically were like, old, 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 old. I've seen this before, I've seen this before. Like they, they're like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, my cup is a cup. What are we doing? Give me a break. And so they, they, they showed that as we age, actually our, our, our minds, um, they, they become less adept at, at embracing what's new. Okay? We become bored. As we get older, there's less and less opportunity for, like, excitement and fun. And so that means that if you're like one of the pagans, the older you get, the harder you're going to have to try to have a good time. Because you've seen it all. The wilder and crazier you're going to have to get to get that feeling of, ooh, this is new and I like it. I think what Jesus is after is he's saying, don't, don't be like them. God has actually set it up so that the universe is such that what you need for satisfaction and for joy, it will come to you. You don't have to just keep running after the next thing. Instead, God's put it together so that what's really good and really joyful and really satisfying, there's a rhythm to it and it will come to you little plug for the uh, Thanksgiving feast, picture of the family having dinner. Thanksgiving feast coming up uh, next week. This is one of those moments where, you know, the Thanksgiving feast, we've been doing it for like 40 years. It's not new. It's the same thing every year. 
ah, there will be turkey, there will be stuffing, there will be potatoes. Like, there's nothing, you know, new or weird, but it's so interesting when human beings get together with their families and they spend time together eating and sharing, they are satisfied. It's as if God's put together. Notice this is something even the poor can have. You know, the, our friends in Haiti, like, they, they can have times of, of gathering and fellowship and, and fun and joy. They don't have to run out, you know, and go to the, the coolest new place where they've got a vegan kale cocktail, okay? They don't have to. And put it on Instagram. I drank it. Worship me. That's the next thing in your note sheets, I think. Don't obsess over satisfaction. There is enough. Instead of spending all of your time going after that new thing, that fresh thing, this is going to make you happy. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, no, God built the world abundantly. It's going to come to you. But how? How does that work? That's the last thing uh, in the text here. Jesus says, obsess over the kingdom of God, and everything else will come. Kingdom of God, uh, that's Jesus' short way of saying, uh, for our purposes, the church. Okay, The kingdom of God is where God rules, and, and everything's set up the way that God demands that it be. Okay, uh, it's, it's any experience where uh, it, everything's ordered according to God's plan. We're never going to see that fully in this life. Uh, ultimately, the kingdom is something that we'll only experience in its fullness uh, in, in the next life. Uh, it, first, the thousand-year uh, reign, um, and, and, and then after that, the, the true, full, new heavens and new earth. That's where we'll fully experience the kingdom of God, but we can have a little taste of it here. That's what the church is for. It's to give us like a little preview, a little example of of what God's rule should look like. And so the things that God demands, like we, you know, uh, radical forgiveness, uh, redemption, uh, overcoming status so that there's not like, oh, here's the rich and here's the poor, but instead everyone's a child of God, like equality in in that way. All those types of making disciples, becoming uh, more and more like Jesus. These are all kingdom things. Okay? So there's service, there's evangelism, there's, uh, there's, there's teaching, there's, there's just living out the way that Jesus wants to live. That's the kingdom. Jesus says, obsess over that. Go after that. And you get the rest. That's dumb. <laughs> Is he serious? Oh, really? That's how it works. You see, everything inside of us is telling us all the time that there's not enough, that we're not enough, and we're missing out. And so the best thing that we can do is spend every waking moment going after ours, our status, and our happiness. What's really crazy about um, what Jesus says is that that there's no way to prove it except to experience it. Because it goes against everything we've been taught. I got a friend, his name's Jeff. 
Jeff wanted to be very successful in business. He wanted to be rich. And he spent years and years going at it. He, <laughs> he was one of the guys who, I don't know if you've been to the Orange County Fair, but if you go to the Orange County Fair, uh, there's like these tents where there's a guy with like a little thing like this, and he's selling you something, right? He's like, look, this is the best knife you'll ever have in your life. You should buy this knife. This is a Ginsu knife. And he shows you, like, he cuts the thing, and it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe you cut that rock with that knife. That's amazing. I should buy your knife, you know? Uh, it's like, it was like that. He, he, he did various different things, but he always was on to the next thing, and he uh, was missing his kids growing up. They were, he was never at home on weekends or anywhere because he was trying to get rich. He needed to prove, you know, to his dad that he was a real man, and so he needed to make a lot of money. Well, he got to a point where uh, he had failed so many times that he, uh, he decided to go to church. <laughs> and, uh, and he started, he's like, he's like, Pastor, I just, he was talking to some, this leader guy, and he was like, dude, I just, I don't, what, what am I doing wrong? And leader guy's like, well, you're looking for the wrong stuff, man. You're looking after the wrong things. He's like, what am I supposed to look at? And he's like, dude, right now, in my congregation, I got so-and-so who's in desperate need of this, and I got nobody who can provide it. He's like, well, I can't provide that either. Like, but wouldn't it be cool if you could? If you could help this, this person? And Jeff thought about that. He went back and he started praying. In the midst of uh, a, a moment of, of, of deep prayer, he, he came to a realization that his entire life had been spent chasing something that was useless and pointless, and that if he really was honest about what would actually bring joy, it would be like to be able to do something for you know, somebody else. So he's like, I, he started praying, Lord, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that. He was, uh, he was still trying to sell stuff, still to pay the bills. He does scent bomb now. Have you heard of scent bomb? It's like a, I don't know, it's like an air freshener, I think. I don't know. Anyway, he's on his plane, and uh, he's talking to this guy, and he's telling him about his business or whatever. And, and the guy's like, oh, sweet, yeah. Um, I think it was like either Costco or 7-Eleven. It was some crazy huge corporation. He's like, yeah, I'm in charge of acquisitions. Why don't you send me some stuff? And like overnight, you know, he makes like trillions of dollars. Whatever. Now he's super wealthy and doesn't have time for the rest of us anymore. But uh, I'm just kidding. He's totally down to earth, super awesome. But was crazy, though, like talking back, like talking to him afterwards. Jeff, Jeff was just, he was like, I, it was the craziest thing. I can't explain once I stopped caring about, about, you know, having the stuff, and once I started caring about, like, doing what God wanted me to do, suddenly I was like, oh, there's the stuff. That's awesome. By the way, if you're like, oh, that's how I get rich. That's it. No. It's not how it works. You're like, I figured it out. Lord, I really want to help those kids in Haiti. I would love to sponsor like 50 of them. No, dude. He actually went through, he actually went through the process of divesting himself of seeking after these other things and began wanting what God wanted. And then some other stuff came. I know too many missionaries to count, like missionaries that barely scraped two, two coins together. How many times have I heard the same story over and over? We weren't going to be able to pay rent. We were praying, we were praying. $500,000 cash showed up in the mailbox. We still have no idea how it got there. God provided. Because we were after his stuff. 
And yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know what to make of that. I don't, I, it, it, as, you know, like as, as someone who spends time in academia, as like a professor, I'm looking for the cause and effect. I'm like, how does this work? I don't know. I really don't. All I can te- do is testify in my own life when everything was about to fall apart. I was like, my God, okay, <laughs> what do you want? Whatever you want, God, and suddenly it worked out. Like, I could just say that's true. And probably a lot of you have been in the same situation. You're like, once I let go and said, okay, God, I'm going after what you want, suddenly they worked out. As crazy as it is, Jesus is telling the truth. It's the next thing in your note sheets. Obsess about the kingdom. Everything else will work out. couple of caveats. Of course, um, not everything always works out. This is a general principle. This is, not, this is not a guarantee. This is not like a lever where you can, you know, it's like, oh God, I can make you do all the things that I want if I just seek after your stuff. No. Uh, I'm sure there were plenty of kulaks in, uh, in Russia who um, really wanted to eat, but because of what Stalin did, they died. This is not a guarantee that everything's going to be perfect in the world and you can make God do what you want and you can get everything that you, you think you deserve. No, no, no. This is simply a general principle for how God has created the universe. It's a universe of abundance. It's a universe in which your security and, and, and the superfluous things of like what you, your self-worth and, and even joy and satisfaction, they are built in so that you may have them. But what God really wants is for you to go after his stuff. So if you're wondering if something is, uh, is kingdom-oriented or if it's really just about you, I have a little bit of a heuristic here. Here's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Number one, number one, is this kingdom or is this for Tom? Well, will this put people over things? Am I going to, am, is this thing that I'm doing going to be about God's people and, and, and seeing them, or is it going to be about stuff? Number two, Will this involve self-giving or sacrificial love? Nine times out of ten, if you're involved in something that's kingdom-oriented, it's going to cost you. It won't be fun. There will be parts of it that are very satisfying and joyful, but there will also be things that are like, oh, I don't like this. This is, this is requiring stuff of me. Number three, will this have an eternal impact? Uh, part of what we're doing is, you know, we don't just feed the poor. Okay, Feeding the poor is awesome, but we feed the poor in Jesus' name. We feed the poor so that God gets the glory, so that they come to know who Jesus is. We're helping in Haiti not because they're hungry, although that's true, but because we want to see them grow up in Christ. Number four, will this bring Jesus the glory or me? Oh, this one's hard. How easy it is to go do what God wants. That we can be in the spotlight. Last but not least, will this require us to trust? If you've got a handle on things and you don't need God, then what you're th- doing is probably not advancing His kingdom. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we trust that you um, have created a world of abundance. You've created a world that has everything we need. You've created a world where not just our needs, but even our desires, even our, our, our need for, for self-worth and satisfaction and joy, all of these things, God, you've created a world that, that they're there for us. 
This world has enough. We've got to pray that we'll be able to believe that so that we can abandon our anxiety over the universe and, and getting things so that we can go after what you want. Gracious God, make us kingdom-minded people who obsess over what you obsess over. To your glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.